Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Tomorrow, I don't know what day is yours, but tomorrow, Monday, is our uh, waste management day where our garbage collection comes and our yard waste comes. Recycling comes every other week. And a big truck comes down, and we have, uh, like most of you today, you all fanning yourself. (laughs) Is it really that hot? (laughs) That's cool. Um, So, uh, we know, we have the big plastic ones, you know, like you have today, right? That they assign to you. And I know why, because they're much more efficient. Truck comes, puts the lever underneath, dips it up, pulls it down, and it's done. Uh, our garbage can's about this big, though we chose a really small one because we've kind of turned into our parents, and now we have like this much garbage after a week, you know. Uh, in the old days, we had about this much garbage, you know, with four kids. But those new garbage cans aren't quite as much fun as the old garbage cans. Well, these were kind of part of your family story, weren't they? I bet Dave Kane had, had some of these, you know. And they start out shiny and, and brand new and uh, really nice looking, and after the years go by, they they kind of look like that. This is still looking pretty good. And then pretty instantly, I didn't. I was thinking, where am I going to get a garbage can? Oh, we got them in the church kitchen. We got three of them down there still, metal garbage cans. So this is the church garbage can. So it's okay that it's up here today. And um, uh, and then pretty soon they get so beat up that they get relegated to yard waste or something, you know, and they get put back. I mean, Teresa's dad, trainer, had one down in the corner in the back stairs of the house that was for the grass clippings or something. That thing was, it had been around since about 1923, I think, you know, it was just old. These were, they were kind of part of your family story. Can some of you relate to that? The garbage cans. And also, in the summer days like this, when it was, you know, the dog days of summer, and, you know, you're already getting bored because school's out and you're not sure what to do yourself. And Whitey comes over and Rolf and the other gym down the street. And uh, you start finding things to do. And, uh, you know, pretty soon you, you, we, where I live and where I, live, where I grew up is, is an alley. It's an old neighborhood in Seattle. And we have an alley that goes from Fremont to Dayton. So we have a lot of area to room and, and roam and play in the alley and stuff. And, you know, pretty soon you could, these things came really handy. Because you pick up the lid, and it's got a nice handle on it like this. And what do you got? A shield. See, I'm not the only one that, you know. And you got a shield. And pretty soon you rummage around the yard, and you, and you find any old piece of wood that will do. And uh, you got a sword, or you got a spear. And uh, pretty soon you and Whitey... Uh, can, uh, you, you know, what, you know, rather than just being dumb old kids in Greenwood, you know, hanging out, now, all of a sudden, you are a Roman soldier. And you are an elegant Roman soldier. And you are ready for battle. And you would do battle with Whitey. And, uh, the swords, and, and we never hurt each other. I never had a sword this good. This is nice. I never, this is a long one. I could have got Whitey out there, that one. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, pretty soon you're hitting and you're clanging and you're bounding and you're this and that until your mom comes out and says, hey, what are you guys doing? You're going to ruin that garbage can. <laughs> ruin that garbage can. <laughs> Whatever. And, uh, and you're done. 
But, you know, you're a Roman soldier and you can roam up and down the alley and look for the Trojans and the Spartans and the Athenians. And, uh, but actually you are pretty Spartan because all you got is a garbage can lid and a piece of wood. And a real Roman soldier has got a lot more equipment than that. I'm going to move this back here. I'll take it back to the kitchen. Don't worry, everybody, after, <laughs> after that's over. But as the Roman soldiers, as I mentioned last week, as Paul is uh, talking about the armor of God, he is in prison, yes, under house arrest, but he is under arrest. He is most likely always with a Roman soldier. And so last week, we began this part of, uh, as we begin the last section of Ephesians, and we read this together, just, or we read, uh, Ellen read to us just a minute ago, from chapter 6 of Ephesians, and verse 11, put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, or as the King James says, the wiles of the devil. And as Paul had opportunity to, to, to see the Roman soldiers and to see them outfitted, and, and they were the top of the world at this time. They were the, they were the, they were the top military in the world. They were the only superpower, really, at this point. And uh, the, the Roman soldiers, especially the ones in Rome, where he was, often would have the dress battle gear on and the dress uniform for parades and so on. They were quite outfitted. They were quite elegant. And uh, he saw these guys there all the time. And he puts together this language inspired by the Holy Spirit on the section of Ephesians that we call the spiritual warfare, the armor of God. But let's pray as we, as we consider this this morning. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we pray that your words might be heard. It's our prayer, Lord, that uh, not only would we hear your words, but they would impact our lives. We would live by your word even in this week to come. And so we just commit this time to you as we continue to worship by looking into your holy word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Put on the full armor of God, every part of it, every piece of it. As we have read and we looked at last week, our, our battles against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. I also suggested to you, and I want you to keep this in front of you this morning, that as, as Paul writes this, you know, our first inclination, my first default, is to look at this as individual. That he's writing to, to me, he's writing to you individually, and yes, he is. But I remind you once again, he's writing to the Ephesians, plural, group, to the church. This is written to the church at Ephesus. And everything here that is written to the individual is also written to the church as a body to put into practice as they are a community of faith, just as we are today. And so everything that we read here, you could also think of it in terms of we as a church, as a faith community, putting on the armor of God to withstand the wiles, the tactics, the schemes of the devil. And so today we're just going to consider three pieces of armor. Next week we'll continue, and then we'll wrap up on the third week, and we'll wrap this up. Uh, about the, the 21st of July, we have a guest speaker, the 28th, uh, Phil Long from Grace Bible College, who's coming to speak at camp. We'll be preaching on that Sunday morning. As we come to this last section of Ephesians, though, I want you to think of it in the context of the entire book. And so we have uh, this, this imperative. Do you remember what an imperative is? 
And you know what an imperative is? It's what? It's a command. Take out the garbage. (laughs) Put that garbage can. What are you guys doing? Put that away. That's a command. That's an imperative for my mom. An imperative is do this. And these are imperatives. These are, Paul, these are not suggestions. These are not uh, maybe, maybe not. These are imperatives. And Paul indicates the urgency, this imperative to stand, to stand your ground. As we mentioned last week, this is not necessarily an offensive battle. It's a defensive battle. You are to stand the piece of ground that God has given you. God had carved out in this city of Ephesus, in this pagan world, this piece of ground for this, this community of faith. And as that community of faith did expand to other pieces of ground, not just physically, but spiritually as well, just as we have in, 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 in our churches today as we, as we move around the world and grow. But each place we go, stand our ground and hold on to what God has given you. Hold on to the truth and stand for God and be a witness of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, stand Stand, stand. It's, it's throughout this passage, stand. Stand your ground. And so we have in verse 4, as, as Paul begins to, to particularly speak about the pieces of armor and relate them to the Christian life, to the life of the church, it's interesting that while these are, while each of these, you know, you have a combination here. You have a combination of the Roman soldier and again, Paul has had plenty of opportunities to, to look at these guys. And Paul was a Roman citizen. And so he, he was with the Roman soldier all the time. But it's also combined with some Old Testament language as a Jew that in the book of Isaiah, especially, that, that Paul was very familiar with. And it's interesting how these kind of come together and coalesce in this, in this word picture here of the spiritual warfare. So in verse 14, Paul says, Stand. Again, stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, the Roman soldier, there is some there's different opinions on exactly, but most likely most scholars and historians agree that the Roman soldier, that it would be, it would be and of course, like, like our military, you know, depending on exactly what you're doing, the military garb can change a little bit, you know. The Roman soldier, depending on what his function was and also what era he was in, but generally it was something like this. It was a leather, most of the time, a leather type belt that was around this area of your body, sometimes almost sort of an under type garment for the rest of the, of the garb you would wear. But you'll see this oftentimes in Roman soldiers that are coming down across this part and it's protective. This is very thick, heavy leather. It's not metal generally because you have to be able to bend and move, but it's protective leather. And it also serve, it could serve also as a belt to which you could attach things like your sword, your dagger. The Romans generally had a short sword like this. The legionnaires did. Um, you could attach things to it. But it is interesting that the first piece of armor, and this is armor. Remember, this is, this is a, this is a military weapon or military armor that we're going to describe here, that the first piece of military garb or gear, this belt, isn't it interesting that it's the belt of truth. Truth. And, it's, and he says buckle. And again, it's, uh, it's, in this, it's in this tense in the Greek language that implies you do this. You put it on. You put on the truth. Every one of you, every one of us, and as a church, we are to take it and put it on 
and we are to be truthful. Now, as we look at each of these, uh, we're going to look at three today. Yes, all of these we could say are the what we we talk about our positional, meaning that, for example, I can I can talk about my sanctification. That when I was when I was saved as a child, I was sanctified forever. I was set apart for God. And at the same time, we talk about our, our sanctification. And Paul talks about, too, our daily sanctification. It doesn't change my position. It's an application of it to my life. The Christian faith, the Christian walk. I am, if we talk about the Christian faith, I can talk about the objective truth of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that I received. But there's also the application. We talk about the Christian faith in our daily interaction, in our daily walk. And as a church, as a local church, we walk and live by faith. So it's this combination of the objective or the, 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 the essential truth and the application of it to our lives. Which is it here? When Paul says, put on the, you put on the belt of truth. Now, we don't believe in salvation by works, and we don't preach that in our church. We, but he says, you put it on. So it's, I, I don't know that you can separate these two. I don't think you can separate the objective truth that only that, that God is, is holy and true and his truth of, the, of his word, for example. I don't know that you can separate that from this application. You can't, the application can't stand by itself. In other words, a non-believer, somebody who denies Jesus Christ, someone who denies that this is truly the word of God and says, oh, it's just another book like, like uh, any other religious book, they, they can't apply that and put on the belt of truth. So you have to believe and have, and have the, 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 the faith and the acceptance of this and have it applied to your life as you put it on and live by it. Does that make sense? You can't separate the two. And I think, I think in this particular case, since Paul is talking to believers, he's talking to the church. He's not in the marketplace addressing an unsaved crowd. He's talking to the body of Christ, the brothers and sisters in the Lord, in the church, I think myself that the primary emphasis is taking this truth, the objective truth that God has given us and that God represents, and applying it through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to our lives. They're all part of it. And, and, and he says, you do this, you put on it, but, but God is truth. God is truth, but he has given us the truth, and he has saved us by the truth of his message. Now put it on. So I want to suggest to you that this belt of truth, and I think it's interesting, the first piece of armor mentioned is truth. Truth is very important. Truth is something that all of us at times struggle with. You struggle with this sometimes in your workplace. It's, it's not always easy to be truthful because sometimes it could cost you a lot. It might cost you a promotion. It could cost you all sorts of things. It could cost you your job at times. It can cost you popularity. It could cost you money to be truthful. Truthful with our family members. It can be very hurtful to be truthful with one another the way God has called us to be. It can be very difficult in a family of God to be truthful, to be kind and loving and truthful with one another. But I think it's very important. I think this is something that, that all of us and as, and as parents and grandparents and as church parents, when I say that, what I mean is if you're part of this church family, 
If, if this is your church home, and if you're visiting with us today, welcome. And we want you to feel at home here today. If this is your church home, and wherever your church home is, you are a spiritual parent. You know, these young people um, that are part of our ministry, you are also their parents. They have their parents. They have, they have their own spiritual family. But as a community, we are also part of the spiritual environment and context that they are growing up in. And listen, friends, it is so important for us that we model, that we model in our lives, as hard as it is sometimes, to be truthful. Sometimes it means having to say, I'm sorry. I, you know, the old thing, love means you never have to say you're sorry. Well, that's not exactly true. <laughs> you know, sometimes you, you do need to say you're sorry. Sometimes you have to admit a mistake. Sometimes you even have to admit, you know what, I wasn't, I wasn't 100% truthful on that. Um, uh, let me tell you the real story. It's interesting. And I want to apply this to the collective as well as the individual. That God has called us to be truthful. Young people, as, as you're preparing, if you're going to be working and you're looking toward a career and you're making those choices, um, this is going to be one of the most essential parts of your life is that you learn to be truthful. And I will guarantee you there will be times where it will cost you. But God will reward you. I'm not preaching the health, wealth, gospel, but the Bible says that, that there is a day, that there is a day that, that God will acknowledge and God will, and, and, and God will do right by you if you are truthful. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. The first article that is given to them is the belt of truth. Let's be truthful as a body of Christ, as a local community of faith. Let's be truthful with what God has given us, and let's stand for that. The second thing that, that God has... Oh, before I go on there, um, Isaiah 11.5. Sorry, Isaiah 11.5. I just want to show you this. Um, I can read it to you if you like, or you can turn there. But the, all three of these come from Isaiah. It's interesting. I mentioned that Paul combines this imagery of the Roman soldier with Old Testament language. This is about God uh, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5. Righteousness will be his belt. It's interesting. In the, in the soldier, righteousness is the breastplate. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness, the sash around his waist. And the idea there in the Hebrew is this truthfulness combined with the righteousness. This idea that God wears a belt as well of righteousness and truthfulness. And then Paul moves on to the next piece of equipment and he says, after you put on the, the, the belt of truth, now put on the breastplate of righteousness. And he says, put on the belt of truth with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now I think all of us know, and you can see by the picture, and you're all, I think, Think, you know, think about, well, we think today of body armor. Think of our soldiers today wearing, um, you know, the, the body armor today that can be so effective. Or even our police officers. You go down in, in Seattle or Edmonds, anywhere, and sometimes you'll see the police in difficult situations wearing a body armor. And this idea that you put this breastplate, and it's interesting, it's righteousness. Righteousness. To put on truth and then to put on a breastplate of righteousness. Now, yes, the righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. You know, Paul tells us in his epistles that we have been given 
the righteousness of Christ. This is an amazing thing. I mean, it's, 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 this is a whole message in itself. It's something to, to contemplate and to think about. The moment you were saved, when you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you received His forgiveness for your sins, you received His blood sacrifice, and, and acknowledged your need for salvation. When you did that, in God's eyes, you become righteous. Now, I can guarantee you that you have not always felt righteous. And you have not always lived righteous. I have not always felt righteous. And I have not always lived perfect and righteous. But when God looks at me, the Bible says, He sees me through Jesus Christ. He sees me in Jesus Christ. And, and so when, when uh, you know, I love that story in, 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 Ze- in the prophet Zechariah. And when the, when the high priest, when Joshua comes and comes before, and, and there's, this, there's this, this, this vision of, of heaven. And, and it says that, that Joshua, the, this is during the time of the return from exile. Uh, if you've been reading the Old Testament, as you got toward the end of Chronicles and Kings, um, and then you go into the time when they, when they come back from exile. And it says Satan was there accusing, accusing Joshua before God, probably accusing him that he has no right he has no right to serve because he's filthy, he's dirty, he's, he's, he's unclean. He's been in a Gentile land. He can't go back and just serve in the temple. And, and God says to Satan, how dare you? How dare you? Is, not this, is this not a smoldering stick that I have snatched from the fire? And God clothes him in clean clothes in this, this vision of, of Joshua serving. And God takes initiative and clothes him in clothes of righteousness so he can serve in the temple as Satan's trying to accuse him. And if Satan tries to accuse us, if Satan tries to accuse us before God and say, look at, look at Jim, he doesn't deserve, he doesn't deserve eternal life, he doesn't deserve your forgiveness, he doesn't deserve to be righteous, God says, oh yes, he does. Because he is in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's my righteousness. And so I have this standing of righteousness before God, but Paul says... Having put on righteousness, now live like it. Put on the breastplate of righteousness so that when Satan fires his darts and Satan fire and Satan grabs his sword and attacks, that we have a, we have a, a coating, a, a, a protective coating that can withstand his attacks. And listen, friends, it is righteousness. Righteousness implies the idea of doing taking what God has given us and using it in our lives. And the Bible is full of this idea of, of righteous acts, of righteous living, of living in ways that reflect. What's, what's the root word of righteousness? What is it? Huh? It's right. Doing what's right. And we are faced every single day with choices of doing what is right or doing what is wrong. Doing what is right for others. And we've seen as we look through this passage and we looked at the relationships of family, and of household rules, and of servants, that, that we are to be a, a servant. We are to put other people first. Submit yourselves one to another as unto God. Be imitators of God. Live a life of love as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us, a sweet, savoring sacrifice for us before God. So we are to live righteously. And I want to encourage us today, and I want to encourage you, and I want to encourage, encourage myself as well. It's interesting this is the part that is over the heart. This is the part that is over the heart. Now, I know physiologically, you know, but, but still, 
the, the Bible does talk about the heart and the seat of emotions. And, and, and it's, just, it's just in our human understanding. And we all know that our heart is, is you know, is, is, is what, I mean, we don't think about how many times since you got up this morning has your heart been beating? How many times last night? And if it stops for not very long, it's, it's the part of us that, that needs protection. And our heart needs protection. That protection is the, sh- is the shield, if you will, that we wear of Christ's righteousness that manifests itself as we live righteously and we do righteous. This week, you will have the opportunity. This day, you will have the opportunity. You will have the opportunity to do righteousness, to live what you are. And as a body of Christ, as a local community of faith, as we live righteousness... As we are righteous in our walk, when we make right choices, my, my right or wrong choices, it affects the body of Christ, and so does yours. And you have that opportunity. And you know what? I guess, you know, it's true, isn't it, that our, our real character is what we are when nobody's watching? Huh? Isn't that true? It's what we are when nobody's watching. Are we willing to live righteously? Are you willing to do righteousness? It's interesting. This is a piece of protective garment. The righteousness of Christ that we have been given that is to manifest itself and how we stand and how we live righteously will help us as we stand for God and for truth. Righteousness. I read to you Isaiah uh, 11. Let me read to you Isaiah Chapter 59, as again you'll see this imagery that comes from the Old Testament as well. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 17, speaking of the Lord Yahweh, the Lord God, we have worshipped and sung about this morning. Isaiah 59:17. For he put, for he put on, that is, this is, this is God's search for man, you'll see in the, in the, in the title. And Christ's search. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. And Paul takes this Old Testament language of God and he takes his picture of this Roman soldier. And he takes this, this truth of who we are in Christ and what Christ has done to us and puts them all together. And, and, and he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then finally for today, the last, the last piece of defensive garment. And this is, this, is a, this is probably, to me, one of the most interesting ones. And that is verse 15. Paul says this, if you put on the belt of truth, and, you've, and, you, and you have the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, I'm still the picture up here. The Roman soldiers, they were, they were, depending on what they were doing, they, would have, they could have two types of shoes. Um, you know, if those, those of you that, that run track or long distance, right? Like they run long distance. Um, you wear a certain type of shoe. Uh, if you're running hurdles or a 100-yard dash, you wear another kind of shoe. If you're playing football um, or baseball or some other sports, uh, soccer, you wear cleats, right? 
So this Roman shoe that, that here, the cliga, the, the, the boat, that, the boot, the boat, the boot that the Roman soldier would wear would be like a leather kind of sandal. You know, I bought something almost like that without the hobnails on it in Mexico on our vacation last September. You know those Hirachios, really nice Mexican sandals? And my dog chewed it up and ruined it this week. Can't believe it. Talk about unrighteousness. You know. <laughs> this dog's got teeth about this big. And uh, after he chewed off the tongue of my Doc Martin boots, and I don't know where the tongue went, it disappeared, which is about this big. Then he took my sandals on. But anyway, the Roman sandals are kind of like Hirachis. I'm sorry, I'm pointing back there. Uh, the Roman sandals are kind of like Hirachis. And, uh, and what they would have, though, on the bottom are these hobnails. And they would, they're basically cleats. Because this, this was the kind of the shoe that the Roman soldier would wear. Think of a defensive lineman or an offensive lineman in the trenches in a football game. You put the cleats on because they help you stand your ground. You're not running cross country. You're standing your ground. And, and the idea with these shoes were to, to, to be able to defend. And so he says, but this is an interesting analogy. I want you to think about this metaphor as we close today. Think of the irony of this. Think of the irony of this, that it's the gospel of peace that enables you to stand in warfare. The gospel of peace enables you to stand in warfare and to stand your ground. I, I, this picture, Cliff, the next one, I, I like the picture of this Roman soldier, you know, ready for battle. And you can see him standing his ground with both of his feet firmly planted ready for the onslaught. He's not rushing ahead. He is standing there. And Paul says, listen, when Satan attacks, and remember, as we talked about last week, it's the wiles of the devil, the tactics of the devil. And oftentimes they're side attacks, they're sneak attacks, they're espionage. They're not always just full frontal attacks. And when it happens, to be able to stand your ground, and as a church, as a community of faith, to stand our ground with your feet firmly planted, with those, with those cleats, with those shoes, but it's the gospel of peace. Now, I want to make a suggestion to you. Maybe this is a new thought for you, but I'd like you to think about this as we consider this. Well, first of all, this we, we saw this in uh, Romans in our Sunday night uh, study, and we also know uh, from Isaiah. Again, let me just read this to you. Isaiah chapter uh, 52. In Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7, a very well-known passage, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Objectively, objectively, this is the peace of God that we have through Jesus Christ. You know, from the book of Romans, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. But how, you know, how, what does this have to do with standing your ground? Now, if you were thinking, of, if we're thinking the primary message here is evangelism, which, which we should be about, and we will get to that later on in our study of Ephesians, believe me, as we, as we wrap up and Paul asks for prayer. You'll see that as Paul says, pray for me as I share the good news and pray for one another as we share the good news. But in a defensive battle, it's, the image is not so much rushing forward and with the gospel and sharing the peace of God. That is what we are to do. But in this particular metaphor, in this particular case, in the context of Ephesians, 
along with this idea of how beautiful are the feet of those who spread the good news, is this idea of standing. I want you to I want you to remember what we've looked at in Ephesians, and um, if we go back if we go back in Ephesians to chapter two, go back to chapter two, and we studied this earlier this year. In chapter two and verse fourteen, this is the context of Ephesians. And remember, as the people gathered at the church at Ephesus. They sat there and listened to this in one setting. I mean, they didn't, they didn't, you know, they didn't have books. They didn't have PowerPoint or anything else. They sat there. Whoever brought this message stood up and read it. And they sat there and listened to the whole thing in one setting. And they had just read in the context of Ephesians, Ephesians 2:14, For he himself, that is Jesus Christ, this is the objective, is our peace who has made the two one has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two. This is a key passage in Ephesians as to what the message, the church, the body of Christ that Paul has been given to teach. This is is the heart and soul of it right here. To me, this is maybe the most important that he says, what God is doing today, he's created a new humanity. We are not fulfilled Israel. We are not spiritualized Israel. We are the new humanity, the new entity, the new people of God. God still has a plan for ethnic Israel. We are the new people of God, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away. And to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. He came and preached peace to Jew and Gentile. We don't live in that world. You don't live in the world where you think of it as Jew and Gentile. But we have our divisions. We have our barriers. The church, the body of Christ, and every culture has had barriers, whether racial, ethnic, you know, male, female, bond, or... He says in, in Christ there is no more Jew or Gentile, male or female, bond or free. These things that, that divide us and break us apart, they have been taken down. In this particular case, the wall of hostility the, the Rome, the, and, and, and the effect of the Jewish law that stood between Jew and Gentile has been destroyed by Christ. His purpose was to create one new humanity and thus make peace. And I want to suggest to you today, friends, think about this that maybe the primary emphasis in Ephesians chapter 6, we are going to get to sharing the gospel. Yes, we are going to cover that. But in this particular case, is it possible that the primary emphasis here, the primary emphasis here, is that as a community of faith, as we're going to withstand the wiles of the devil, we need to learn to be at peace with one another. We need, as Paul says in chapter 4, to be unified. There is one God, one Father, one Savior, one baptism, one Spirit we've all been given. This unity that we have. We are one family. We are one body. And we have our differences. And and I'm glad we're different. I'm glad you have your likes and dislikes and your preferences and my preferences. It would be boring if everybody in this church was like me. Believe me. Uh, You know, we don't want to all be the same. But we are to live at peace with one another. And that peace that we have is to be an example to others of what God has done through the love of Jesus Christ. 
And we are to be at peace with our brothers and sisters as you go into your workplace, into your neighborhood. As we go into the world, we've got a group going to Africa. We've got mission. We've got young people. Julia Young's in, in Costa Rica. Pray for Julia. We've got, we've got Kim and Casey Kemper coming home, I think, Tuesday from Africa. and Pray for them. Josh Herman getting some wonderful emails. Josh has been preaching all over the place in Southeast Asia at schools and prison and churches. Um, he, you know, as we go around the world and minister and serve, we are to be at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, the Roman soldiers fought together. They fought together. There was not intended to be a, a solo battle. They fought together. And listen, friends, I want you to think about this passage of Scripture this way. I'd like you to think about this as we continue. And we're going to wrap up here. That Paul is calling us, yes, individually, but as a community of faith, as a local church, as the body of Christ, the church at Ephesus, he is calling us together to arm ourselves, to dress ourselves for the day of battle. And he has asked us to live at peace. Are you, am I, doing my part? And this is so important. We have a choice every day. We have a choice to be truthful or to lie. We have a choice to live righteously or unrighteously. And we have a choice to do our part to bring peace and unity or division and anger in the body of Christ. This is our opportunity. Our feet, ironically, in warfare, prepared. You notice the word prepared. Prepared with the gospel of peace. Listen, friends. Just look at the history of the Christian church. Look at, look at some of your own history. Some, you know, we're aware of this. That division and disunity in the body is, is one of Satan's greatest tactics. But peace in the community is the death knell for the enemy. Sure-footedness and tranquility of mind from the gospel of peace. Put on the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, and your feet ready to stand, cleated and in the ground and firm and sure with the gospel of peace. Shalom of peace. Uh, you know what? We're going to tough it out. We're going to come tonight. For those of you that come Sunday night, we're going to tough it out. It's going to be warm in here. But we're tough, right? Thanks. Doris is tough. Yeah, you can be here, Doris. You can bring, I'll, bring, I'll bring you a fan or something. And uh, But the main reason we want to come is because Amanda Newell is going to play special music to it, and that's worth it right there. Uh, then if we have to, we can even go out there in an narthex for our study. We'll see. We'll, we'll make it work. I know it's hot. I asked Grant Bowers today. I said, Grant, does this remind you when you were in Iraq in the Marines? He said, yeah, at about 3 o'clock in the morning. He said, <laughs> before it was 120 during the daytime with all that gear on. So he, he yeah, let's, let's do it. So anyway, listen, I don't know about you, but I am so glad I am not in this battle by myself. Man, alive, I wouldn't last a week. I mean, God would take care of it. I understand that. But it would be hard. I am so glad to be a part of the community of faith because we are interlocked. 
Uh, we, are, we are standing together. And we put our feet in and dig in. And we have that, those armaments on. And we do it together. And there are times when some of us are really weak and we really need each other because someone else is really strong. And there comes a day where it's vice versa. It's vice versa. We need each other. I don't care who you are here today. You might think, you know, I'm not very important. I don't really matter much. I, I just come to church and I can't even do much. You know, hey, we are a family, a community of faith, and every one of you is as important as anybody up front, anybody behind the scenes. We are a family. We are an army. We are in this together, and we need to have truth, righteousness, and we can be at peace. Amen? Amen. And God bless you as you walk with him and serve him this week.